0: to the Clemson Dubcast, Friday, May 27th, a huge official visit weekend coming for Clemson's football program. Paul Strilo, of course, has all the goods at TigerIllustrated.com, going into the weekend, proceeding through the weekend, and of course, exiting the weekend with the much-anticipated, every week, Monday morning, Recruiting Insider. at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service, integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With 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 Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much much more. Find out more about Solero at SoleroCommerce.com That's C-E-L-E-R-O Commerce.com When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting like some of the positively stunning work they've done at clemson university go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from harris home and harris commercial okay to our conversation with chad carson former clemson football player who has gone on to make a name and an identity for himself that is totally separate from football certainly one of the most interesting former jocks you're ever going to come across all right here we go enjoy Okay, joined by Chad Carson, former Clemson football player, uh, entrepreneur, renaissance man, world traveler. How you doing, man?
1: (laughs) I'm good, Larry. That's a a great introduction. I don't don't (laughs) know if I can live up to that.
0: I was talking with uh, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Brian Garrison, a few weeks ago. And he said, have you ever, because we were doing a, at Tiger Illustrated, we were doing a a series of articles called the Clemson 30, where we went back and, and, and just called up, 30 former players and asked them like three questions, like what you're up to now, um, right. uh, your thoughts on Dabo and the program, and then number three, your thoughts on name, image, likeness in the portal. And Brian said, I'm surprised you haven't uh, asked Chad uh, to take part in that series. And I, my first reaction was, Chad is way too interesting to, to have just three, an interview consists of three <laughs> questions. So I, I made a note. It's like we got to get him on the podcast so we can have a more a lengthier a lengthier chat.
1: I love it. Well, thank you. Appreciate that, and I love the work you do too. With, thank as you. A, as a Clemson fan myself now, and I love hearing seeing the work you do.
0: So, I, I and I I don't mean to just throw all these verbal bouquets at you, but I was in that conversation with Brian. I said, you know, Chad is the. Person who would least—if you just parachuted into Clemson and knew nothing about Clemson football history—he is the person who would not strike you. Who would strike you least as a, foot, a former football player? And I mean that as a compliment, <laughs> um, based on all the stuff you've you, you've gone on to do. I guess let's get started. You're about to move to Spain, correct? With your family, take take your family That's right. to Spain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're right at that. Like this is the last day or two of school for Pickens County. And and so we're, we're packing up and and this July moving to Spain to live in Granada, Spain. And just the context of that, my wife's a Spanish teacher and the very first date we met, we were talking about living abroad and studying abroad and foreign languages. So it's something we're kind of uh, weird about. We've lived abroad before in Ecuador and South America for 17 months. And this is a 12 month stint likely. And yeah, we're just going there to live, and our our daughters are fifth grade now, and third grade. We'll be in sixth and fourth next year. Going to go to school there, and we'll live. We got a house rented there in Granada, and we're just gonna sort of pack up and move over there.
0: What is the response of of children your age when you say, "Hey, <laughs> we're about to we're about to go across the world and live"? Yeah,
1: luckily, luckily, they they know how weird their parents are. But you know, they, at first they were. <laughs> Our younger daughter, uh, understandably, like anybody, all of us, you know, when we when you change something, it gets a little uncomfortable. Um, so our younger daughter was not didn't really want to talk about it when we first brought it up. And she still remembered our time when she was three when we went to Ecuador and came back we came back when she was five. So she definitely has memories of that and positive memories and had lots of friends there and had a good experience. But I think there were as I dug into it and started talking to her, she was just, sort of has that She loves her house. She loves her bed. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't want to leave. You know, and she, when I really got down to it, she's like, we're going to rent our house out while we're gone to help us, help us do it. And she said, like, I don't want somebody sleeping in my bed or living in my room. And <laughs> so there's kind of like specific things like that, that, once I told her, you know, we're going to pack your bed away and that's not going to be, you know, people are going to have their own bed. And and then once we found a house in Granada, she could see pictures of it. And I think there's just the uncertainty of it, which is totally understandable. Like, I, I don't know where we're going. I don't know who these people are. and But we started getting specifics. Of, Here's the pl- place where we're going to be. Here's the some really cool stuff you're going to get to do. There's an old city and there's cool old streets. And there's kids. Here's there's pictures of kids at the school you're going to go to and very small. And so I think once we got a little more specific with some of the positives of, of doing it. She was a little, she was more on board and now they're both excited about it.
0: And this is something, um, mainly you've been able to, 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 to build a career in real estate, which has allowed you, uh, to be able to do this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I mean, obviously everybody starts from different places, but when I, when I finished Clemson football, I was a biology major and I thought I was going to go be a, a doctor. That was what I was really interested in. And just as a, you know, this is the topic. I love biology and just thought it'd be cool to do, but I thought I was just so tired from football and I I tried, I made a little run with NFL and that didn't work out. I fell flat on my face with that. And so I was just like, I'm just gonna take a break. I'm just tired of meetings. I'm tired of like organization, you know, having to go to stuff and I'm just going to be an entrepreneur for a year or two and see if I could do just learn something. And then I, I thought I would go back to the kind of the real world and be a doctor, do something, but. Um, I got into real estate investing and I, you know, I was fortunate that my father had been in the business. He had rental properties back in noon in Georgia. So I was able to learn and ask questions of him early on. Uh, But then I moved up to Clemson and started my own business with a business partner. And we were flipping houses and buying rental properties and, you know, survived tooth and nail through the great recession. That was pretty tough. Uh, But we, on the other side of that, the positive of real estate is it's kind of a long-term game, but eventually you can have rental properties that produce income, and that's, that's the business I'm in. So I don't have to be always on site. We've got really good property managers, and we've built enough now that where I can work remotely on that and talk to them remotely when we have problems, and people on the ground can handle a lot of the on-the-ground stuff. So that's that's how we're able to, to go over there and, and live there.
0: So when you're working remotely, um, is it just primarily just – uh, working by phone and putting out fires, uh, just administrative stuff. How, how can you give give us a, an, a, I guess, a feel for what that's like?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of it is like property managers are really competent in and of themselves. Like I, I give them a, um, you know, a, a number. Like if, if it's anything less than three hundred bucks, like a, let's say there's a leaky toilet and the tenant needs to have it solved or a faucet or something that would probably cost you know 150 bucks or something like go ahead and solve that don't even call me just just do it um and then but then other times there might be something all right there's a refrigerator died and it's gonna cost 800 bucks to replace that we have it'll be a text message we have your permission to go replace that and usually it's just yes (laughs) one one response (laughs) do it Um, but there might be something a little more complicated like all right there's you know, a problem with this roof leak and like very rarely, but like this, you know, there's some mold in the this bedroom and we need to move the tenant out and get a hotel room for a couple of days and treat this mold. I mean, it's a, that's like more of an extreme situation and they still handle it, but I have to be kind of on board and have, have, a, have a phone call. And, and then there's bookkeeping and filing tax returns and things like that. There's kind of administrative stuff behind the scenes. And every once in a while, there's a we're buying or selling something, not as much right now. But so there's yeah, there's there's kinda like the big picture strategic stuff, and then there's just the details and kind of practical stuff and all that's um something we've been doing for twenty years now. So it's we have some systems and processes and uh fortunately you don't have to do as spend as much time on it like real is a very time intensive thing up front when you're buying properties and remodeling them but once you get them stabilized and find good tenants who really enjoy living there and um, it's just, it just makes it a lot easier
0: after that you mentioned the finding good tenants how, how how much how many students just roughly do you do you rent to
1: uh it's about 50 percent, maybe a little, a little higher that are student rentals um probably higher than that, maybe 60%. And then the rest are like, we have professors and just families who live here. I've got a couple of trailers who, um, you know, just just people who work here in town and need to have a good place to live. And they stayed there for seven, eight years, you know? So it's, there's different, it's kind of, it's kind of cool just to meet the different people who live in town and there's definitely student rentals. And that's part of the, we kind of grew into that over time. But when we first started, it's always been just, a house, a trailer, you know, just somebody locally who lives here and they need a place to live. And we either rent it, sometimes we'd sell it to them and finance it to them. And so it's, I've been a, the real estate game's a lot of fun because there's so many creative, different ways to approach it. Um, we've done a lot of different things over the years, but mainly now it's just renting renting properties to people here in the Central Seneca and uh, Clemson area.
0: Having been in the area a long time, um... I'm curious what your sort of, um, I guess, assessment is of of the growth and all that. I, I always, you know, when I, when I start to complain about traffic or whatever, I think you know there are millions of other places in the in the country or world where people are like, oh, it's just not the same as it used to be, and yeah. Um, but there are. It, it is like, wow, does, does this. Does this community have the infrastructure for this type of growth? And like, do you have a, I guess, a general feeling for just how, um, how, how much things have grown and 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 some of the issues that are, uh, traffic type of issues and 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 the question of can we get bigger? And that you have a, a feel for that or an opinion on that? Just a sort of a a, a big picture uh, opinion. Yeah,
1: yeah, I definitely definitely have lots lots of opinions on this subject. Um, I mean, I, I'm like a kind of have straddling the past and the future here in Clemson because I, I came here to school and a big part of what I loved about it was the, the natural areas. And I still do. Like, I, I feel like we're one of the a gem of the world is this part of the upstate and the Northwestern corner of the upstate with waterfalls and land. And to me, like the experimental forest and the 17,000 acres that surround the university and the view of the blue Ridge mountains and the natural spaces that that's just like precious. It's just amazing. And it's something that, you know, I remember seeing a sunset the first time I came on an official visit for football, and it was over the lake and this amazing sunset and purple sky, and I was like, "This is this place is amazing!" I'm like, wow. And so I think all of that, and then the small town feel and the, the idea that this is like a a village inside of that um, natural spaces, I think is has been what attracted that's what's attracted to me and my wife too. At the same time, you know, we've lived here during the the growth of the university, and I feel like the the is, this is something like especially people who've been around Clemson a long time. They come back, they see the big apartment buildings, they see, you know, pe- things are different and it's, it can be frustrating. Like, and I, I, I kind of, so I can kind of re- empathize with that at the same time. I, I think about it. And so like things always change, like, it's the, you know, place is always changing and I, I really can't do anything about the economics of the university and whether they needed to increase enrollment or not. Like, I, I just think that's not something we can, like had an argument about because unless you're on the board of trustees, I mean, you could push back and say, I don't like that. But the fact is university has chosen to grow. That was like a long-term 20, 30 year kind of strategic decision. So from there, i look at it and say, okay, I still like the small town. I still like the natural spaces. Like, let's make sure my, so my response to that is like, let's make sure that doesn't go away. Like we can't can never sacrifice the green spaces and the outdoors. We can, and can we find a way to maintain like a small town feel, even while things grow. And that's the tough question. Like, I think that, that dilemma, and it's actually been a big part of why I've gotten involved, which, you know, the um, I started volunteering in the community, just as somebody who lives here, uh, trying to, to build an infrastructure of alternative transportation. I feel like that's a big, it's not the only solution, but I feel like the, the city of Clemson is a seven square mile space. Like that's really small as a footprint, and it's right next to the university, and there's no reason why most people who live in town, especially students and people associated with the university, couldn't get on a bike or walk or get on one of those little scooters and get to campus and move around and go to the grocery store doing that, and that, that's a foreign concept for people who've been around Clemson a long time, because that's never happened, and that's not what Clemson was about, but that's one of the ways that I think it's in terms of infrastructure and traffic like if we grow 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 and all we just turn into a little mini Atlanta which is where I'm from you know and all we do is widen roads and build more infrastructure for cars that's not the solution like that's that's an ugly solution and that's not going to be something that we're proud of and you're going to lose the feel of the small town whereas if you have some kind of thoughtful growth which is still difficult and you have all of the growth happen along corridors where buses and cars and walking can happen and you build safe infrastructure for that to happen then you have the, the, the opportunity that, to create new small spaces. Like you have public spaces where people hang out and they interact and you feel like you're in a small town still, even as some of that growth happens. And so I, I think we're really at a crossroads and a lot of people who live here are frustrated by what's happening and um, you know, I've been doing my best to try to get involved and kind of steer it in a certain direction, which I just described a little bit, because I feel like 20 years from now when our kids – our kids' kids, you know, are, are thinking about going to the university, you know, what we're doing right now is going to determine whether it's a place we're proud of or whether it's just kind of a ho-hum, you know, suburban-looking, tra- traffic-y place, you know, that, that we're not proud of.
0: And you're referring to your work with the uh, leadership with the Green Crescent Trail, um, which is really seeking to, to, to create a lot of the things that you're talking about. Um Right. For example, so the, uh, educate me here, um, so the perimeter road uh, um, expansion, I guess, I don't know anything about this. I'm, I'm ignorant, um, unfortunately. Can you give an idea? Is there going to be anything incorporated with that, um, that 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 includes some of the things you're talking about, alternative transportation, or is it just going to be just for cars, like you said?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of a mixed, mixed thing, but I mean, there, there's definitely a widening of the road, and which is, is for cars, right? But there's a and I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna go with, in two different directions with that question because there's there's some I know more about, some I don't. The there is gonna be infrastructure for the Green Crescent Trail, which is something I've known about just our, our group has. I'm an, I'm a board member of uh, the Friends of the Green Crescent Trail and and so for years her Five, six years, we've been trying to work getting the university, the city, the local towns, Pendleton and Central, Pickens County, Anderson County, to all collaborate and work together because this is more of a regional effort. And so this this widening of perimeter road included in that project was a new 10-foot wide multi-use path for biking and walking that would connect to a city path. And it's hard when people are listening to kind of get geographically where this is, but essentially there's going to be like a two and a half, three-mile path it will be like the first section of the green crescent trail that'll connect the university to the city and it'll connect the botanical gardens to uh, gateway park right there on highway 93, which is a small little park kind of next to first citizens bank. And when you're coming into the university and then it'll connect all the way to the Clemson elementary school in the kind of heart of the neighborhoods of um, Clemson. So that's like a important first step, you know, and so that's a positive with uh, in terms of alternative transportation, um, that's, that's what I know more about. The part that's a, that I know a little bit about that I, I can talk to, the, the widening of perimeter road. I know there was a lot of sadness because some big trees and the Botanical Garden, some things got cut down in order to widen roads. And I'm, I'm never really that excited when I see roads widen, as I mentioned earlier. But I think the long-term reason that's happened, my understanding of long-term plans from the university, is that you have Highway 93, what's now called Walter T. Cox Boulevard, coming into campus like right next to Bowman Field. And the idea with that is to make that more pedestrian zone. So you have like raised crosswalks, you have you, know, you have people in Bowman field and Tillman hall going across to the business school and going across the downtown. And it's just, it's a natural like pedestrian space. And, and so the idea has been to try to get fewer cars to see that as a cut through. And if they, if people want to get to the other side of campus, use perimeter road instead of cutting through campus on 93, there'll still be car traffic. There'll still be game day traffic, but the idea is to make it super easy to use perimeter road as a kind of a perimeter, basically to go around, and so widening it. The part of it's already four lanes, but the part of front road was not all the way to Highway 76. So that is the uh, that, that's the the purpose of widening it. Obviously, there's lots of cost to that too, and it's there's a pain, painful construction and tearing down old trees that've been there for 150 years. So there's there's never a, like a perfect solution, but the hope hope I think in the end is that maybe some of the traffic that would go through 93 and also some of the traffic that go on highway 123, which is a mess in Clemson too, you know, where where, that some of that people, if people were looking at 123, they might say, well, it's two minutes longer, or if there's traffic on 123, they could take perimeter road and you you need alternatives. Otherwise you're going to have everybody bottlenecked into one spot.
0: Just to give a sort of real life example of, I guess, the sort of the the need for some, trails or, uh, sidewalks or whatever, uh, just a half hour ago, my daughter, my oldest daughter was, uh, going to go jog over to my, uh, in-laws, um, which is straight down Issaquina trail, Mm -hmm. Mm uh, from, from around central Heatherwood and and central to Camelot, which is, I don't know, two miles max. And so it's a straight shot in a car, but I said, you're not running down Isaquina, are you? And she said, "No, I'll run down 93, and then I'll go down this road, and then and then there's a cut through in Country Walk that cuts over to 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 Camelot, which I've never even heard of. But anyway, yep. Yep. um, and, and we just we just got the Issaquina uh, road redone, but it didn't include any it yep. didn't include anything for for <laughs> bikes and 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 I'm whenever I see a biker, I, I'm just Almost scared. terrified for them yeah um, because th- that's a lot of trust in your fellow humans a lot of whom are unfortunately in a rage over over yeah. over, over just the sight of a bike of a bicycle of a person riding a bicycle
1: yeah it's not safe I mean it's just, it's just I don't have the statistics at hand but I know South Carolina is one of the worst some of the worst statistics in terms of pedestrian and bike deaths in the country. And that's that's sad, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a good, good thing to be leading, you know, and, and there's, there's all sorts of causes. Right. But I think the thing I've been frustrated a little bit with, and you you let me get on my high horse for a minute, but is just that, I think there's some policies on there's, there's always positives and negatives in every organization, but from a state level, historically, we're not prioritizing uh, more balanced transportation. It's very much balanced on making roads faster for cars getting people from point a to point b and there's a there's an argument for that right you gotta have commerce we got to have trucks going on here and there but i think i'm frustrated with and i think people in smaller towns and cities all over south carolina probably resonate with this like when you get into a city where people live and it's not the highway between towns that's not a highway like that that is a place where people live that's where people need to walk to the park and get exercise and just walk their dog and push their stroller and this is this is like these are and so there's a set of rules for roads and how fast they go and it's the engineering of roads and then the funding of roads that is not oriented towards what we're talking about here and it makes a big difference like this is this is quality of life this is like safety this is um the way things grow like so it, it like leads directly to the type of growth that nobody wants um wide wide roads traffic sprawl you know all that stuff, and I don't know. Maybe maybe there's one or two like state leaders listening to this, and I'd be happy to have that conversation with them and share my opinions on it. But I think it starts with how we fund things, how we policies we make on a state level, and then it kind of trickles down to our towns. And because and a lot of people don't realize that most of the big roads in every city in our state are South Carolina Department of Transportation roads, like Sacoquina Trail Highway 93. 123, even some weird little roads you don't think are state roads They're all state roads. meaning the state decides what happens with them. They fund them. They decide to put sidewalks on them or not, which they decided not to. They didn't have the money to do it on Isoquina when they repaved it, even though the city asked and the city was wanting to do it. It was in our plans, you know, but it's a state-level decision.
0: You've obviously made a lot of progress uh, in, in some of these areas, although still, of course, plenty of work to do what what's the common the most common argument you hear against these uh new forms of uh, these new avenues and inroads and and, and things
1: i think there's a couple like i was in Oconee county recently and i think some of the pushback was it's just like a luxury item like hey we've got sewers we've got other stuff we need to fund and like i get that like i'm i'm economically you know conservative i like to watch the dollar right um and so I, I just think there's not – in that case, it's like, hey, this is a this is not appropriate here. We don't need to spend money on that kind of thing. There's other things we want to spend money on. I think more commonly, though, it's like um, – like in here in Clemson, for example, I think there's pretty wide support from most of the people who want this kind of thing. They've gone over to Greenville. They've gone to Traveler's Rest. They've seen just how vibrant it helps small businesses. It's a, it's a more appealing way to develop a city and grow. Um, I think part of it is just old momentum and old habits and just seeing how, how's this going to be implemented. Um, and sometimes just like, I'm thinking about like downtown Greenville, like if you look at how downtown Greenville became an amazing space, amazing place, it's like known nationally for what it is. It, it, it was, it took years took decades of people kind of stay in the course on, on ideas. And I, I wish things moved faster than that, but I think people get distracted, leaders get distracted, um you know leadership changes. So just it, it's pretty unusual that a town like a city like Clemson or Greenville could do that what they did and stuck with something for like three decades and implemented it. And I'm I'm hoping that you know I think Clemson has that potential, but we have the unique challenge that the university and the city are under different leadership structures. And then you have Pickens or Pickens County and you got Pendleton and you got Central so you, everybody comes into Clemson, visitors for the games, and they're like, they think they're in Clemson, but like, which Clemson are you in? Are you in the city of Clemson? Are you in Pendleton? Are you in Central? Are you in uh, university? And that's the challenge of that is like, all of those entities have to make decisions together to do something bold and pretty um, amazing over the long run. And I think it's starting to happen. But it's, that's been one of our biggest frustrations as a uh, nonprofit organization is just getting the planning processes and the funding processes on the same page. And I think if that can happen, that's just more like a football, pro- it's like a, a Dabo problem. We need to get Dabo to help us like rally yeah. the troops, get, get everybody all in. This is, this is like a human resources problem and a leadership problem. So maybe I need to take some lessons from Dabo.
0: Yeah. You got to believe, get him to, yeah. get him to uh, give one of his, one of his great speeches. I guess on the general topic of progress, you mentioned Greenville, Greenville, and, and and it happening, it, you know, it, t- it took a while. It also took great vision for, from leaders. And I think of mm-hmm. that on sort of a smaller level here as we're sort of marveling over, over Pendleton's um, uh, blowing up, I guess, for lack of a better term, over the last mm-hmm. five or six years. And I compare that to a town like Central. And I, maybe I'm not being totally fair here, but this is what I chalk it up to. I don't think it's totally organic or totally... Uh, just dumb luck that, that something like Pendleton happens. I think it's something that requires vision from your leadership of your town, yeah. where yeah. Um, you know in Central, for example, you know I, I'm I, I think that probably part of their issues have been, have been well they're kind of rooted in the past. So like a, opening like a a, a brewery or a, or even just a, a a a pint station or something like that, pint uh, house. It's like, whoa, well, we can't have alcohol. You know, we'll have all this, all these problems that come with that. And so there's such hesitation. Whereas Pendleton right. was like, you know what? I think most people can behave like responsible adults. And so they, yeah. you know, when they have events on the square, you know, you can sort of, you know, bring a cooler and 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 have a beer. And and that that is that brings magnetism because not yeah. because people are alcoholics, but more. People are like, "Wow, this is really cool. I can bring my chair and sit and have a beer and watch some music, yeah. uh, and then it just sort of grows from there." Is that? Do you view, do, do you view it the same way in terms of the having to have sort of the right mindset of leadership and and, and vision?
1: Yeah, I think I think you're hitting on something. I, it, it's really hard to prescribe any kind of like every town's so different, right? Like Pendleton and Central, I think are both amazing. I mm-hmm. think they both have unique. Qualities that, you know, Central is a little more like blue collar and working class. It was the, you know, halfway point of the railroad between Charlotte and Atlanta. It's got the old textile mill history, you know, it, it, so it, it's got its own kind of, you know, quality and you know, flavor. And then Pendleton is more, you know, I think is the history and it's the historical square. It's the place where the old farmers, you know, build, building was. So I, I think every is difficult, but I, I think what you're hitting on, though, that's right. Is that you have to preserve what matters to your town? Like you can't lose. And this goes back to our conversation about Clemson too. Like you can't ever, ever lose the thing that makes you you who you are. Like if you, it's like a person. Like a person who you know lost all their integrity would be a sellout, right? And so a town, a town would be a sellout if you like if, if Pendleton had allow the hist- historical buildings just to be bulldozed and to be painted over and not preserve the history of Pendleton, that would have been a shame. It would have been like a travesty, right? And I think they, I don't know who did it. I think there's a historical organization who's done a really good job of just like being persistent and stubborn over the years. And I'm sure city council leaders made good decisions too. They, they decided even though it's hard, even when half the buildings in downtown were sitting empty to preserve their downtown and not let that get away from them. And that's on the one hand, but on the other hand, like you're saying, like you have to be a little forward thinking. You can't like be stuck in the past either. And so they've been, they've allowed the downtown businesses to thrive, um, to thrive, by having allowing them to do things like you're talking about, having little things on the square that might be a little uncomfortable for some of the people who've been rooted in the town a long time, but you know, ha- letting them have festivals and music and outdoor, you know, um, refreshments and beer on the square, and that's allowed vibrancy to happen because the businesses have to have that to thrive. Like that's what they do, and it also attracts people from outside of Pendleton. Like you want more money from other people, like you want people from Clemson Central Greenville to come there, and I think Central is going to find its own path there. Like I think some yeah. good, good thing, some good things are happening and I think it's going to happen in its own way. Um, but I think the, the trails are like a big part of that. Like, and I think instead of thinking about trails, like walking on a mountain trail, like these are just public spaces. Like, so whether it's a trail, whether it's like falls park, Greenville, like you got, if you invest in your public spaces, and you get those right, and you get your infrastructure, your little downtowns right. If you can slow cars, I like centralize the problem again—that it's on a state road, it's on a highway, ninety-three, mm-hmm. and people fly through there. And I know the town has tried to get the DOT to allow them to have slow down, kind of basically speed calming kind of stuff, like you know crosswalks that are slowing people down, or have little parklets where take away a parking spot but put a little you know outdoor seating for a restaurant or something. All that's been turned down because it's a it's a it's a it's a mindset of roads it's thinking not like a town it's thinking about moving people from point a to point b so it's a really complicated equation but it does take vision and leadership and it takes local leaders to say hey state like go talk to your legislators talk to your governor like hey this is what we our town is dying unless you let us do these things your policies are making us do things a certain way that's not helping our town and Pendleton you know, had some, um, you know, they invested in that square, they invested in walkable, uh, sidewalks, things like that. So it's a, it's a multiple list of things, but it's, uh, it's imperative, you know, like the, you, 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 look back 20 years and say, Oh, I wonder how this happened. It happened with those little tiny policies and little tiny investments. And most of all, not selling out on the original idea of what that town was all about.
0: Can I try out another theory, for you on, on you know on this list of factors with pendleton yeah. um this didn't dawn on me until a few weeks ago but it's so hard to get into downtown clemson uh with traffic and parking and for people our age you know 30 uh, somethings 40 somethings 50 somethings there's not yeah. as much to offer um us down there and in the in, in the in the realm of restaurants and bars and such and so i w- when you have a Really great option. I don't know, three miles away, four miles away, where parking's right. really not a problem. You can just breeze yep. right in. Yeah, I, I, I believe that um, has really helped Pendleton, and maybe even Seneca as well, because you have like Kiwi Brewing Company out there and some other places yep. where it's like oh, I can just park right beside the place and yep. have a good time and have a have a have a you know uh, a glass of hazy IPA or something like that um, with yeah. with like minded people. Does that is that a factor in your mind as well?
1: I think, I think there's some friction to get downtown for sure. But at the same time, I'll give it a counter example, like Greenville downtown, people were, compl- I've been reading books on Greenville. This is one reason it's fresh in my mind on how it came to be, but there was a lot of pushback early on with like, they, they, uh, these be a four lane road there. And they narrowed it to two lanes and put parking on the side, but parking has always been kind of tough to go downtown, like compared to going to like when Haywood mall and all those malls came along. People are like, oh, it's so much easier to park at Haywood. I'm just going to go in Haywood. But yet, can can you, you know, we now look at it like, all right, mall versus downtown Greenville. Like, which one's a better experience to, to go to? There's And in downtown Greenville, what they did was built parking garages that you still have to park in and walk. Like, you're not going to be right next to the restaurant mm-hmm. you're going to, and yet people go. I, I would argue that the problem with downtown Clemson is that there's not, a reason for you to go like, you know, as nice as the bars are and all that, like for people who are in their thirties, forties, like us living in town, we, we look at it and say, yeah, there's some good college bars. There's something, you know, but blue Heron moved out other restaurants that were kind of last strong holds for us to go down there. They moved out. And so here's what the, I think public policy can change. That is that downtown Greenville, they invested in the the peace center. So there's a Mm -hmm. cultural, anchor there like there's there's something that people go to if you go to the peace center to watch a big um event you're going to say well where are we going to eat we're already here we've already parked in the parking garage we might as well go eat somewhere have a beer whatever and so like there's this concept of anchors along downtown areas and those are usually public investments so you you invest in an anchor and you have a parking garage and people go there and spend three or four hours and so examples of anchors in downtown clemson Uh, Abernathy Park like Abernathy Park is totally underutilized it's not it's it's, it's nice but it has a tiny little parking lot it's not really up to the potential it could be and it's not connected to the rest of town and this is where green crescent trail and some stuff like that happen if people could park in a nice spot there that could be the jumping off point to get on the green crescent trail or to walk to you know why is that not connected to downtown really visibly like it's only a, i've walked it tons of times it's five minutes to go from abernathy park to downtown like why are people not going to the park and then go and have a beer or an ice cream in downtown it's because it's not visible it's not obvious is not marketed and Abernathy park has its own issues and needs to have it needs more investment it needs to be widened It needs to be you know in, in expanded and so like i think Clemson has a problem of anchors and getting people downtown other than just the bars and that's that's something we gotta we gotta fix
0: shifting gears here you mentioned your first your recruiting visit here you saw the sunset over hartwell can you take me back to your recruitment when you first heard from Clemson, what your notion of Clemson was being an Atlanta guy, um, you know, they were fairly, I guess about seven years removed from being really good yep. in, in the early nineties. Just take us back to that, to, to your, to your uh, high school days and, 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 and maybe share, uh, paint the picture.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I, I grew up a Georgia tech fan. My dad was a scholarship football player at Georgia tech, and he was there in the days uh, It was right after Uh, Who was it? Bobby Dodd. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, um, the famous coach. And I think whoever the next coach was, but I I grew up going to Georgia Tech games. I loved the stadium. I loved all of that. And so, they would play Georgia uh, Clemson, right? And like in 1990, my biggest memory as a Georgia Tech fan was when Georgia Tech was the co-national champion with Colorado in mm-hmm. 1990. They Clemson their biggest game they beat Virginia, who was number one in the country at the time. But then they also had to beat Clemson, and and who had to you know I guess it's Lebron Kirkland, and I forget who else was there at that point. But it was like a big deal to beat Clemson, and I was it's my my identity of Clemson was always just like tough tough hard nosed defense. Um, really loud, you know, loud and proud fans. And, and I didn't know a lot about the town itself, but you know, I just thought it was a cool football program. And so when I got recruited, it, you, you never, when you get recruited, you don't know, you don't have a lot of control over who's going to like, and who's not Georgia tech recruited me a little bit, but they were kind of lukewarm. It was uh, uh Georgia Leary was the coach. And like, I went over there to visit one time and, and I was lived in Atlanta. So I could just come over there after working out and he just stayed in his office. So he wouldn't even come out and talk to me. And I was like, huh. All right. I guess I'm not, I mean, you don't want to be like self-important, but it's like, obviously I'm not like top on his list or maybe he treats everybody that way. I don't know. Maybe he did. Um, But I went to Clemson and Reggie Herring was the linebacker coach and he, I had offers from Furman, some 1AA schools, William and Mary, the Naval Academy offered me. So I was like, kind of what borderline division 1A, 1AA kind of scholarship athlete. And Clemson was my first 1A offer. Like Reggie Herring just said, I think he's like, you're not. I didn't play a lot of linebacker in high school. I was a, a running back, and but I was a tall running back, so I just wasn't that wasn't my ideal position. And so he said, "I think you can play middle linebacker. I've seen a little bit of tape on you. I'm going to take a chance on you, basically." And I liked you know I, I, he believed in me, so that was nice. And then once I got onto campus, again seeing the lakes, seeing the outdoors, it was close enough to Atlanta, two and a half hours, but it wasn't like so far away that my family couldn't come watch that was important to me that my parents could come watch the games and and just you know, fell in love with the just the, the football program too and what the the history and the, the tradition and so that was the that got me here I, I georgia tech ended up offering me a scholarship as well but i just think the that was the the deciding factor for me
0: how long after that how long in the how long did it take for georgia tech to offer you
1: I think it was pretty soon after Clemson did because they they do their regular call. They were, you know, I, now I know how they do these things. You're like, you know, they had their their A guy and their B guy and their C, and they were trying to keep me like lukewarm so that to find out what their A guy was going to do probably. And once Clemson offered me though, I was like, and I told them that. I think that oh, we got offer this guy. He's going to he's going to bail on us. And I did. <laughs> so, you know, that was that was the. But it, it's still. I think those are my two one A offers. I was getting recruited by Georgia too, but that was one of the years they had like top five recruiting class and I think boss Bailey and uh Takeo Spikes and some wow. other people were like some really good linebackers and they just it, if I had a, even if I would they would offer me I'm not sure if I would have played as much going there so I'm glad I'm glad that didn't work out
0: was it the George O'Leary thing this sort of snub that that ended up being the biggest factor there and, and you not uh, going there
1: Uh, A little bit. I mean, my dad was like, you want to go somewhere where the coaches want, want you don't go somewhere just because you like it. And he's the George tech guy, you know? So he knew that I would want to go there just because I like tech. But I think, I think he was more leaning, Hey, follow the coach who wants to play you because that means you're going to play. But for me, I think it was the, the stadium and the the atmosphere and being in a small town in the mountains. I loved outdoors and camping and hiking. And um, so, and then, Yes. You know, when you play football, you you have to love the school and that environment too, but ultimately you're going to spend a ton of time playing football. So to me, like getting to run down the hill and play in front of 80,000 people, like if you're going to have to work out and do all that stuff anyway, you might as well play in front of 80,000 people who love to love to watch the game. So that was, that was probably one of the more deciding factors for me.
0: It's hard to imagine Dabo uh, sitting in his office and not coming out to greet the son of a of a former player, even, you know, <laughs> even, even if he's like fifth string for his high school, you know? I
1: know. I know. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. I mean, it takes two minutes, right? Didn't, he didn't have to, he didn't have to like chat me up, right? He just could have s- said hello, but whatever. That's, it all works out in the end. I'm, I'm glad, he, I'm kind of glad he snubbed me because maybe I've been in Atlanta at that point.
0: So you signed with Herring and head coaches Tommy West. 98 was your freshman year, correct?
1: Yeah. For 98 was my freshman year and I thought things were going to be fine and then, you know, by December, Tommy West is out, (laughs) Tommy Bowden's in. So things, things got shaken up. We were three and seven that year. It's kind of embarrassing, but you know, it was a good, it was kind of cool to be on a trans in retrospect on a transition point to a new, new era. That was kind of fun.
0: What do you remember about, uh, West being out and then that transition, just what that was like as a, as a young impressionable player, as a man, yeah, we,
1: I can remember one specific story that's kind of funny. It was like right a week after he got hired, or maybe a couple days, and he had a, a meeting. So he was going to meet with the whole team. We went over to Vickery Hall at the time, and we all sat in there. And I guess new players always test the new coach. And DeMarco Fox, who was a defensive back for us, was sitting on the front row with like, I don't know if it was a bulldog or a boxer. It was like some kind of you know <laughs> a mean, dog. mean-looking Mean looking dog. He's sitting on the front row. He's kind of lounged back with his bulldog or bull what? boxer dog on the front row. <laughs> coach Bowden walks in there with the, you know the couple people behind him, like you know, it's like, all right, here's the coach, here's the new coach, and he walks down and everybody like is silent, like quiet, and he looks at the dog, he looks at the Fox and he's like, Get that dog out of here. <laughs> what? I don't know why he had a dog and what he was thinking, but that's the that was the very first interaction. And Coach Bowden, I, I've I've interacted with him since then too. And he's I love Coach Bowden. He kind of when he gets really upset, he kind of like his voice gets a little shaky, you know. And he just he just he, like so right from the get go, we're like we, we, we saw a little bit of the, the anger of Coach Bowden there.
0: So there's a story that I'm sure has has been embellished about about Reggie Herring. But I'm gonna share it. I've shared it on here before, um, so people who've heard it are gonna have to have to pardon me. But so the day that it comes out that Tommy West has been fired, or is getting fired, because he you know he's gonna coach the last that like, last game against South Carolina. But it was like a few days before that game, and I guess the 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 media is all waiting outside of Jervy to for, for for Tommy West to come out. It was before practice, I think, or maybe after. And and Reggie Herring walks by and says, "Y'all got what y'all wanted." He got fired. <laughs> it's y'all's fault, and he's blaming the media. And supposedly, he took his he took his after that he took his practice gear and a shovel and 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 dug a hole out out by the practice fields and threw his practice gear. He buried his 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 Clemson practice gear, I guess, because he thought he was he was he was going too. Yeah. Well, then yeah. Tommy retains him, and then again, could be embellished, but he had to go and shovel. He had he had to go dig his he had to go dig his his, his practice gear back up.
1: Uh, I don't remember the shovel and the practice gear, but that, <laughs> the, the, the thing I love about Coach Herring was he like he wore his heart on his sleeve, right? And sometimes it would get him in a little bit of trouble, um, you know, doing that, just getting emotional and but you, you didn't ever have a problem knowing where you stood with co-chairing, whether you're the media or the middle linebacker or, <laughs> or whoever, right? He, he was going to, he's going to tell you what, what he thought. But on the same, on the same time, he was like, he loved his players. You know, like he, he would, he would show you love. And he told me when, when I first got recruited by him, it's kind of funny. Cause I, I went to a private school in Atlanta where you wore uniforms and he, he said, I'm going to come. I'd already committed. He, he was going to have a, like a, a visit to kind of seal the deal. And he's like, I'm not coming in your cafeteria and parading around there and making you look good. He's like, you got to meet me out in the parking lot. And I was like, okay, I'll meet you in the parking lot. It's a, He's in a minivan. and He has me out in the parking lot. He's like, he's like, I want to see you do some footwork drills. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I got my like dress shoes on. And he's, he's got me doing like, you know, little footwork drills and going back and forth. He's like, all right, that's good. All right. I think he was just like trying to make sure I actually had some footwork, you know, and the so he can make sure this is a good decision on his part, but he's a, uh, yeah, he's a character and I, I couldn't ask for a better middle linebacker coach. Again, he took a chance on me and he didn't, he said, I'm not going to give you anything. I've got tons of linebackers, but if you work hard and you play hard, you'll have a chance to play. And uh, that's all you can ask. You know, you just ask for a coach to believe in you and give you a chance. And then after that, You just, you gotta let the rest kind of fall where it may. There's a little bit of luck that comes into it. There's a little bit of, you know, different things that happen, but that was, I really had a great experience playing for Coach Herring and getting also Coach Bowden, getting to be in that transition to a new era. He was in a minivan? I don't know why. I think it's a rental van. I I mean, these these days people, they pull up in some big cars or, I mean, big fancy stuff. He, he, He was definitely not trying to impress me. I don't know what his strategy was there, but the minivan and coming out in the parking lot, not coming into my school, you know, that was, that was, that was kind of funny.
0: What do you remember about Rich Rodriguez?
1: Oh man. Well, I'll tell you a story on that one with Reggie Herring and Rich Rodriguez. So we, We were uh, the the very first spring practice and also the summer practice was intense because, you know, Rich Rodriguez was intense, you know, screaming and, you know, kind of some people said mean as a snake, you know, that's kind of like, he you just was not, you just, you didn't step near coach Rodriguez and the red herring was intense, you know, as well. And so we were doing a scrimmage one time and coach Bowden had told us before practice, like, do not hit the quarterbacks. Like these are, they got a purple Jersey on, don't hit them. And so, but at the same time, Reggie Herring tells you, you got to play intense, get the quarterback. We're blitzing. That's what we do, get in their face. And so I I blitzed and I made it through. And I think I tried to pull up at the last minute, but I still hit Woody Danzler and kind of knocked him over. And I didn't tackle him, but it's knocked him over. And Rich Rodriguez got up in my face and was screaming at me and yelling at me. And and then Reggie Herring got up in his face and said, like, ah, "This is my player. Yeah, I'm the one who yells at my player." You know, they started going at it like right in the middle of practice, and so I kind of slipped away. So that I went, you know, went back to the huddle because I didn't want to get in the middle of those two guys. But that was uh, that's what I remember of Reggie and and uh, Coach Rodriguez.
0: What do you think was Tommy's greatest strength as a as a head coach and leader?
1: I think he, he inspired confidence. Like I, I remember. You know, Coach West was great. Like I loved his personality and I loved him. But I think there's a little bit of swagger that came back with Coach Bowden. We had lost a little bit of that. You know, like watching Florida State play, he brought some of his dads just like he he had a system. Like he he decided, this is how we do it. This is how we practice. We practice this long. And he would tell you, he's like, This is what has worked. For a long time, like I know, this you got to follow the formula. You got to follow the process, and and so that I think that confidence was good. Like you, he seen what he done. He done it Tulane. You saw what he did. Uh, you know his father had done, and so I think that a little bit of swagger, confidence, and just organizational system that had been proven. To work like that was the difference, and I mean all the way down to game days and like preparing for games and where do we stay in a hotel before the games and all the, There's just you had a plan, you know, and I think that was that was a big deal um, to have that kind of when, when you're because it's not like Clemson didn't have some strengths, you know. They they have a good, good they had good uh, history of the programs and good some good facilities, although the facilities have gotten dated. You know, that's one of the main things he says that we need to we were behind the top 10 programs big time in any kind of facilities. And so he was trying to make up for that by doing other things and um, to recruit players. But we, that, that was, I think ultimately his legacy, you know, is that pushing that so that the investments were made to be able to recruit and recruit at a higher level than we had in the past.
0: What was your most unforgettable greatest moment uh, at Clemson as a, as a player?
1: (sighs) Yeah, it's gosh, there's a bunch of them. Um, I mean, it was, I'll just list a couple fun ones. I mean, it's fun get to play against Michael Vick, even though I missed tackles on Michael Vick. You know, like I remember uh, the, the Gator Bowl or, you know, playing at, at Virginia Tech. And there was an option play that Michael Vick ran. And as a middle linebacker, you have to get the quarterback on the option. And so we were open field, like five yards on the left, five yards on the right, just me and Michael Vick. And I took one step to the right and he took seven steps <laughs> to the left. and was down the field for like <laughs> 60 yards. So that's, that wasn't positive, but just, it was cool to play at a high level and get to play against people like him and Peter Warwick and um, some of the other uh, Chris Winky from Florida state. Although not all those interactions are positive, you know, but just getting, getting to play on the high level and push yourself and, and see where you can go and what your abilities are. That's, that was just a lot of fun just in general. But I, I think the, the South Carolina game, the one you, <laughs> in your book, you wrote about, you know, like the, the last minute um, getting to beat them uh, my, my junior year and you know, having the field goal kick at the very end. That was a pretty cool moment just to have that kind of, cause we didn't, we had a lot of losses at the last minute. <laughs> when I played there, we didn't have as many uh, last minute wins. And that was one that was just pretty memorable.
0: If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson Market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm, Smith & Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-350. Zero seven. When you uh, graduated, I think I read you had you were debt free because of your scholarship, um, and you had to think a thousand dollars in the bank, which you turned around into into real estate. Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a lot of money. Yeah, I just basically had to partner with other people who had the money to start yeah. real estate. But I was lucky; I didn't have debt. That was that was good.
0: That made me. Uh, that makes me think of of, of uh, where college athletics is right now. Um, with just the velocity of change, um, some people say chaos, um, I mean, I think it's, I think everybody agrees it's an existential yeah. <laughs> issue. Um, yeah. what, what, what do you think, do you have a, a, an opinion on on an NIL, the portal, uh, where things are? I just, I'm always curious to hear uh, the opinion of, of, of not only former football players, but former football players who graduated and, and, and actually used the education as turned it into something of, of value.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll preface my opinion by saying like, <laughs> I don't, I don't have enough understanding of the whole system to like give good opinions, you know, but I, I do have, a, my, my opinion is biased towards players because, you know, being there and seeing that, seeing friends of mine, like I was a pretty fortunate situation that I got there my parents had, you know, my mom was in the medical profession. My dad had real estate. So there's like no financial issues for me. Like I had a good foundation there, but that's not always the case with a lot of players. And, I'm, and I want to qualify this. like, I'm not saying that getting a scholarship and education is not valuable. Like it really is like, valuable. But when when you, I, I just think it's always been a pro sport. It always has been. Mm-hmm. And we, we were treated like pro athletes all along. Like I, I think about like when coach Bowden came in, He's getting paid millions of dollars. His job is on the line. And so he treated it as such as a serious thing, as a monetary thing. He would say your players have to play, play well, or you're out. Like you're you're done. <laughs> like you're, this is a like he would, you know, you're, you're gonna sit on the bench or you're you know, so a lot of people, there's a lot of attrition in our class. Like people let we lost like 50% or more of our class. people who left or left the school or whatever, because it's a business. Like it's, you get pushed hard saying you sink or swim. Right. And I think because that's the reality, because coaches are getting paid millions of dollars because athletic staff are getting paid lots of money because there's lots of money already there. It is a pro sport that happens to be on a college campus. And so it was always, there's always, always been in my mind, a kind of a disjunction there. Like a, just, it does. coach make millions of bucks players making this like it just didn't it didn't sit right especially given not all the players but a few of the players would would personally like generate a lot of that revenue like the yeah. jersey on somebody's back is generating that revenue the player that and and they might get hurt their senior year so it never seemed equitable to me um and so like the idea of nil makes a lot of sense now that the execution of it does it change the sport do people have a lot of memories that are of a college sport that was done a different way? Like, absolutely. Like I, I, there's some, there's some repercussions of that and I don't know how to solve it from there. Um, so I don't have, that's where I don't have the good answers, but I, I do think to call it a amateur sport is not accurate. Is not, it's not been an amateur sport for a long time. And if, if we wanted to be an amateur sport, we should have said, Hey coaches, you can only make so much money mm. and there you go. And so you, you want to go to pros, you go to pros, but this is a, this is more like a, a coll- collegiate thing and we're going to come here and do this, but we're not going to be making, paying millions of dollars. And that's, that's where I think the, the, the it was inconsistent uh, with what, you know, on the one hand you're pro the one hand you're not. And that was just not the same.
0: Yeah. Like if it's amateur coach, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't me making, $10 million, and hey, you should be teaching a a class, yeah. too, on the side, kind of like high yeah. school. Hey, you, know, you, go, like <laughs> you got go to uh, <laughs> go teach economics <laughs> or real
1: estate or something. I don't know what you got to teach, but you got to go teach. <laughs>
0: um, you know, I always, even before this new era of NIL, I've always tried to put myself in the shoes of not the superstar player who goes on to the NFL and makes many, many millions and who used college as a great sort of refining school, I guess, for uh, as a springboard to, 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 uh, to get to the NFL. I always think about the guys who, who still qualified as superstars were not, did not pan out in the NFL for whatever reason and could have made a boatload of money. Woody Dantzler is probably number one on that list. Yes. Um, Taj Boyd, Ben Boulware. I mean, the list is pretty, pretty long just at Clemson. um, that's really the best argument to me about, uh, for, uh, for players being able to, to be compensated, um, yeah. for, for what they help produce.
1: That's a great point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. this. I mean, Ben, Ben Bollower, think about that national champion linebacker has a big brand recognition. I mean, he has economic value, like his, his position had economic value and for that to not be, and it was monetized, right? I mean, he, I remember even when I was there, you know, like we went to media interviews all the time and, you know, the players that went to them, they were, they were chosen for certain reasons because they had, you know, they played well because they were good interviewers, whatever the case might be. Like that's, was that in my scholarship agreement that I needed to go an hour early every day and do, do media interviews when I could have been studying, I could have been taking a nap, you know, like, I don't know. There's just, those are there's little things like that, but. I think you know asking a coach to go early for an interview. Hey, you're getting paid millions of dollars. Like, sorry, that's what that's what you do. It comes with a job, right? And it did come with a job too with us. But, but I just I think they there's some. That's the argument for nil. The best argument. I agree with you. I think that's the the Woodies, the Ben Bolawares, the Dodge Boyds of the world. That that's because they didn't make it in the NFL and didn't make a bunch of didn't make any money in the NFL. So that's a that's a different story.
0: I guess there's maybe a, a counter to that in in this really complex uh, topic you know you, you could have a a more marginal player who is not quote unquote generating you know a, a ton of revenue and he is on scholarship he is uh he does have all these amenities that he's able to take advantage of what i would love to know is is the figure the 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 dollar figure for for that for not just the, what the scholarship is worth, but if he graduates, mm-hmm. what is not the monetary cost of that scholarship, of that education, but what that is worth to him twenty years down yeah. the line. Like my college education, I don't know how much was spent and, and taken out in loans, but let's just say it was fifty thousand dollars. That's what my education cost. I mean, it's worth way more than that, obviously, because I'm yep. here. Here I am decades later, still yep. making a living from that. And so my, I just want to see if you, if you, if you agree with this, my problem with the, I guess the, uh, the, the, the pro NIL extreme. And, and by that, I mean like the media conversation about it is there's too much cynicism about about the educational part of it being a sham and people say right. that's people assign the value of that as nothing. And I'm like, um, right. no, I, 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 I talked true. to a lot of yeah. former players, including yeah. Woody Dantzler himself, yeah, who they treasure that education and what it did for them. Yeah.
1: No, I, I, I think they I think we're underestimating the value and I think we're also spoiled at Clemson because we have a coach and a program, which I, uh, honestly is like my most proud thing about Clemson right now is the way, Dabo treats his players like uh, there, there are coaches in the in other programs and in the past who treat their players like paper plates and you're just expendable and you throw them away. And that's not, that's never been the attitude Dabo's brought. And I feel like that's a, the underpinning of his whole success is yes, he had to have X's and O's. Yes. You have to play on the field and all that, but it was always about treating people correctly and treating people well and investing in them. So not only do you have a scholarship that to a university that has a a very well-known degree now and clemson's a great school you also have i mean all the money the paul journey the the extra investments that that the the football program invests in their players and the athletic department in general is a huge bonus like if you think about in the business world just having a relationship a network of people that you can then go get a job with or borrow money from or you know get a leg up on something like that that's Enormous. Like, I don't know how you put a. I don't know how you put a, a number on that. Like it really is more than just getting your chemistry class and doing all that. You know, like, the knowledge is great and it's important. But it's. The, um, I think college, one of the biggest benefits of college, is the network effect you get. Like if you're if you want to live in South Carolina and be in any field um, professionally. Having connections with Clemson, um, you can, if you can call up a friend of yours from from football program, or you can call up Dabo and say, "Hey, do you know somebody in this field who can I can talk to?" You know, that's that's enormous. Like that network effect is really a big deal. And so, yeah, I'm not one who wants to undervalue what has been invested. I, maybe we need to put a, you know, figure out a way to quantify that and say the players are getting this quantity. But I, I think one of the things that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out is the university because they have not been able to pay players how many millions of dollars have we spent on facilities yeah. and all those things to recruit people. So like when I was, when we are coming up, they couldn't pay you. So they had to like spend spend $40 million on a football facility to make it. So it's amazing place to be your whole time. Right. But you didn't get to keep that football facility, right. but you got to use it for four years and you got the promise of coming back, you know, in the NFL, their facilities aren't as nice as Clemson's and some of these other places because they spend all their money paying the players. And so maybe there's going to be a kind of a balance there where, you know, the, Maybe they need to follow Dabo's model and say, "Let's invest in the players." Like, not only do they get an education, but we're going to put some money in a four hundred one k for them. We're also going to train them to do like, whatever career they're in for the next five years after they're done. We're going to spend these, this amount of money sending them on a an internship, or we're going to let them study abroad the year after they play football. Like, what other things can we do to enrich the players' lives beyond the football field? Like, I think that's that's a question. Like, and where could we where can we best spend our money? to help these players, not just to put up a huge facility that looks nice to recruit them, but actually like helps their lives. And that might be an interesting way to, to try to make a positive spin on the the whole situation.
0: Do you have an opinion on the transfer portal? Meaning uh, players don't have to sit out a year. They have a one-time free transfer to wherever uh, they want and they can uh, be eligible right away.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to take a very, player centric approach again. I mean, cause I know there's a counter argument to this too, but I thought it was a little unfair that a, a coach could recruit you. And then they like, and then like, let's say your position coach leaves and they bring in another position coach who doesn't like you, like you're just not their type of player. And yet you are stuck there. Right. And you can't leave. And, and so I, I think there was a disproportionate amount of control that the university football team had over players. And this is kind of a, opposite extreme you know like they're very quick you can leave any anytime now so i don't know i, I as a fan of the, of the game and like I like football i hope there's maybe a happy medium there maybe players have to you know maybe, maybe they get some of those benefits we're talking about and they have to stay longer you know you can't just you sign a contract like you do in the nfl or something because there, there's there's a there's a positive and a negative that but i think that some kind of change was positive so the players weren't stuck for four years and you're stuck behind the you know, something that's not fair when you could go play somewhere else. Like, I, I don't, I don't think that was right, but at the same time, maybe there's some way to incentivize people to stay longer because that's one of the things that makes college football special is having a player be developed and stay there three or four years. And that's, that's changed. That's, that's very different now.
0: So in two thousand nine, um, you and your wife went to South America for four months. I guess you called it a mini retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then, as as you mentioned in in seventeen two thousand seventeen, um, you, you lived in Ecuador for for a, a year.
1: Yeah, was seventeen months. Okay, actually, seventeen yeah. Yeah, months. Yeah, we pl- planned on a year, and then we stuck around a little bit longer. Uh,
0: and then, of course, you're you're about to go to, to, to Spain to live. I, I know in in the comparatively few examples I have of of just going abroad for vacations and such I just feel smarter about the world and and hey there there are people who live differently than we do you know with our American way of living nothing against yep. the American way of, live, of life and America's the greatest country on you know in the world but yeah. I'm just curious what have you taken from 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 those experiences how are you different from them um from just seeing other ways of life and 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 not just seeing them in a brief glimpse but actually being immersed in them for a long time
1: yeah well i I, first of all i I too love i'm I'm an american through and through and i love uh, you know warts and all i love i think our country has its issues but we're we're a great place to live and south carolina is a great place to live and i'm planning on being back here but i I think for me like whether you travel for a week or six months or a year like we're doing it's it's more of it's a very humbling experience in my, in my experience. Um, you know, we all have like kind of notions about how the world works and we see the news or we read things and, you know, we we do our best to try to get an understanding of a very complex place, the world. But when you travel there and you meet people, one of the, I think one of the biggest transformative moments for me, was just realizing people are people everywhere. Like, yeah, we have different cultures, we have different food, but like we would sit in Ecuador and on the playground and our kids, would play with other kids and, you know, we've talked to the parents there and, you know, they're very different backgrounds, very different upbringings, but people care about their kids. They want their kids to have a better life. They want them to be safe. I mean, there's just some common humanity that's really reassuring that if you just read the news and you hear about the leaders in different countries, you're going to get a very pessimistic view of the world. Whereas my experience has been people are really generous everywhere in general, in general, like people are kind. And yes, there's some negative Nellie's as well, but we, we know how that that's same here, isn't it? I mean, we have tragic news every day in the United States. And so I think traveling will humble you if you are open to it. And it'll also reassure you of the positive side of people. And that's, that's been a really important part for me. And then just from a practical standpoint, I, I like travel. We've been traveling a lot in Latin America and I'm very goal oriented, you know, going to Clemson, playing football, getting good grades, going to business, goal, 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 go, go, go. And I think that's a trait that we are probably proud of in America. You know, we work hard, we have goals, we go after it. I think there's a good balance to that, that we have a hard time doing, like taking a break, slowing down a little bit. And I needed that personally, like kind of a type A, go get it person. So I went to Latin America and I've lived in Spain some. And they're, they also work hard there. I'm not saying that, but they, there's a value of slow time and family and enjoyment and being with your friends. And some of those things that we know are like the most enjoyable in music, by the way, which I know is big passion for you too. Like this being in present and enjoying the moment and not always living for the future and living for work is a, is a an important part of life, you know? And, and so like taking a siesta, taking a nap and, I think uh, I'm also, I, been, I
0: also appreciate yeah. that. Now, now, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so I, I, I needed I needed that uh, personally. So maybe that's my reason for traveling is you know just take it easy a little bit, balance a little bit, and that's been it's been helpful to be a better father, to be a better person, to be a better husband. You know, that's those are qualities that you know if, if you're a if you are a go. Like, I, I often wonder like some of the head coaches in football like they're such like detail oriented, intense people like. It's really hard to go back and just be a normal person yeah. sometimes, you know, like to be a dad, to be, that's, those aren't the same skill sets, right? I mean, you got to be, uh, so I don't know. That's 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 my own personal journey. But I think travel wherever you go, whether it's in the United States or somewhere else can help, can be a personal journey too. So I, I, I encourage people to the extent you can. I know it's a luxury item to be able to travel and do that. But if you can do it, it's a really,
0: it's an awesome experience. What's the hardest part of doing something like that?
1: Discomfort you know, it's not comfortable, especially when you go to a place you've never been before and they speak another language. Um, it's, it's uncomfortable. And, but I I forget, I'm kind of damaging the quote here, but like every, every growth you've ever had in your life, whether it's playing football or getting a degree or getting, you know, some new job you had that was rewarding, like the rewarding parts come on the other side of being uncomfortable. Mm. And so that's, I think that's it's also why we're going to Spain now. Like we get, we're a little comfortable right now. We gotta, you hmm. know, gotta shake things up a little bit. Wow. Um, and sometimes that works out well. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, and that's that's part of the adventure. Though, like adventures aren't like a guaranteed thing, right? There's there's also the you could fall flat on your face. You could get sick. You could do things can happen. But you know, I think we humans at our best, you know, we live our lives to. For excitement and adventure, as well. We don't, you know, sitting there being comfortable is not the only thing we want to do. So, at least, at least I speak for myself. So that's part of part of it for me.
0: From your, I guess, combined twenty-one months in South America. I am sorry. Yeah, twenty-one months in South America and and Ecuador. Uh, based on your relationships you've developed with the folks in those. In those places, what's the what's the view of America? What what do they? Not, I mean, not that there's one view, but I'm just curious yeah. of some of the insights and and sort of impressions you have from from those yeah uh, those folks. That
1: that's been another interesting part. Yeah, I, I remember. There's a, we we met a friend in Buenos Aires and Argentina, and we actually met him. We were hiking on the uh, the trail to Machu Picchu in Peru. So I don't know if people heard of that, but it's like a this old ancient Incan city that was like people didn't even know about until the early 1900s. You can hike there or take a train and just a beautiful, amazing place. We were hiking with people, mainly from other countries. We made really good friends with this guy from Buenos Aires. And my wife, Carrie, we were hiking and it was raining and he was, he didn't really know what he was doing hiking. And my wife is, has more experience. And so she helped him like cover up his pack so it didn't get wet, his sleeping bag. And it is, we made fast friends after that. And we um, went to Buenos Aires and he talked, he showed us around the city and we were like family And we had some conversations about that kind of thing. I asked them, like, what do you think about the United States? And part of it, I think, was just we have we're very fortunate, and who knows how we got this way, but but our banking system, our monetary system, the fact that you can go put your money in the bank and it's like relatively safe, you know, like you're not, you know, there's still issues. Like in Argentina, we were. You know, I I talk to people about like what you know, if you save five thousand dollars like for a rainy day, like what do you do with it? Like that we don't put it in the bank, you know, like we mm-hmm. put it in because you know they've had banking crises where, you know, the government tied up their money for a year and a half and um, or inflation eroded it away, or you know, whatever. Same thing in Ecuador. And so I think there's a recognition that like we're a a really solid, we have a solid foundation economically and contracts. And so there's a you know, for whatever that happened, like that's a pretty rare thing, and it, it's given me an appreciation and for the uniqueness of that, and it's really hard to replicate that. Um, so on on one hand, you know, land of opportunity, lots of lots of things, but on the other hand, it's there is also richness, other places, and happiness, other places. Like I was talking about the the workaholic, being a workaholic, and go 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 go. I think we have a lot to learn from other people. Like that some of their their impressions would be an American would come into town they check this thing off the list. They'd see this, you know, yeah. whatever the site was going to be. <laughs> They're there for two minutes. Oh, done that. I've done, yep. I've done Buenos Aires. Let me get out of here. You know, and instead of like, let's savor the moment, like let's enjoy this a little bit. So Americans have a little bit of a reputation for that being kind of surface level, just not in, in part of that's just being rushed and in a habit of being in a hurry all the time. And so that was, that was an impression my friend gave as well. he, so we we had learned by that time just take it a little easier and you know take our time we're not and then so he was like you you're not a very typical American right now I was <laughs> like well I've had three months of, of training here in South America so that's that's all.
0: No the the can you refresh me on the 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 community in Spain that you guys are, are going to. We're going
1: to a place called Granada, uh, mm-hmm. G-R-A-N-A-D-A. It's in southern, southern Spain, um, kind of southeastern Spain, uh, about an hour from the Mediterranean. And it's a, it's an old, it's a small city, probably a few hundred thousand, four hundred thousand people. And it was an old um, Moorish city, which like Spain used to be, uh, is uh, Islamic country. And then back in the 1400s, part of the history of the country was the called the Reconquista, the Catholic Kings took back over that part of the country but this is one of the last cities of the Moors and it was really like an eclectic city and had a um, had really cool old streets and markets and there's this big uh, palace up on the hill called the Alhambra which is a it was an old Islamic palace it's just amazing beautiful place with fountains. And so we, we liked, we had visited there once before and just loved the, um, loved the town and the feel. And then also a lot of outdoor stuff. So going back to my Clemson roots, you know, you can hike and um, get outside of town pretty quickly and be in some nature and places like, like that. So we're, that's the, the place we decided to land.
0: So do you like rent uh, a home?
1: Yeah, yeah, we had to, we didn't even go there. We haven't seen it. We did a long distance. We hired a consultant to help us rent a house there, which is a little unusual. Usually, we just kind of helicopter in and figure it out as we go instead of making reservations or doing anything. But uh, getting the girls into a school and um, just with COVID early on, it was just there was just some complications that we're like, we're just going to pay somebody to help us find a place so she went and did like a live tour with us on the phone and helped us you know talk to all there's a lot of bureauc- bureaucratic stuff you have to do to get into schools over there so she helped us do that and so yeah we've seen pictures of our house i don't know what it's going to be like when we get there but we, we've got a house rented right now
0: so when you showed up in ecuador in 2017 you just showed up without you're just like all right let's figure out a life yeah now once we're here
1: yeah, yeah. We just kind of threw a dart at the map. We'd never been to Ecuador before and we said, This looks really cool. Some people told us about it. And we did I mean, we did a lot of preparation and research, just knowing what it was like. But we didn't know, like when we get on the ground there, maybe we won't like it. Maybe we will. We'll just keep on if we don't like it, we'll just go to Peru or go to Chile. Let's keep going, you know. Um and that that's a little unusual. Like that's not something it made our co- family uncomfortable and other people are like, you got to have more plans. Like you don't know what you're going to do. And, and <laughs> we're like, no, nah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> so we got there and, um, we had about a three three day Airbnb and that's the only reservations we had. And then after that, we just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, this is another part of the adventure that's so amazing right now in the world. That, between facebook groups and online you know there's there's online groups everywhere so like ex, there's expats people who are from the u.s or canada or europe who live in places like that and you can like before i even got there i interacted with a lot of people online i'm doing the same thing in spain right now and you can learn about you know what's what where the town where do people want to live and and then once you get there you can connect with those people go out to a cafe with them and talk to them and so it's it's just a different more it it's an easier world to travel in now. Whereas like 20 years ago, you had your guidebook and you just had to like figure yeah. it out and just show up there. And um, so I, I feel like it's, a, it's a, because of the internet and connectivity of people, it's a little easier to, to fly blind and just jump into a place and figure it out.
0: So how big are your suitcases you're taking?
1: We're actually taking less than you would think. We're, we're going to have four uh, a suitcase each. So i mean, a relatively big suitcase, but you know, so four suitcases... Four carry-ons, so We each have like a backpack, a small backpack. But I'm honestly, I think I'm the one who's gonna might break that system because I'm. Uh, I have a podcast and a YouTube channel that I do for like real estate stuff, and that's kind of been my main thing that I spend a lot of time on now. And I want to do that while I'm there in Europe. So I'm like, I've got this box here beside me in my office that has my camera, my you know microphones for the for the podcast, and. Like, I'm, I don't know that I can, that, like, I'm either going to take a lot less clothes, which is fine. Like, I don't wear that many I'm not that fancy of a dresser. Or, you know, I just got to figure out how to get my, like, video, audio equipment and then, and then my books because I like to read. And I'm actually writing a book this year uh, as well about real estate investing. So those are like, I'm, I'm the one who's going to probably mess up our system to, to figure out how to pack.
0: <laughs> what, uh, Well, on that topic of your, of your, this will be, I guess this is your second book. You have a, like you said, the podcast, you have a website, coachcarson.com. You want to yeah. share, um, anything you'd like to share just about that whole, that whole venture?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I, I kind of took the fork in the road with real estate investing that it was very, is very beneficial for me. Obviously, out here, I'm able to travel. I'm able to do a lot of things because of investing some money. And I feel like real estate is one of those most accessible ways for people to build wealth. Like you don't you can have one house or one rental house or two rental houses that used like for example a house you used to live in. And you move out and you keep it as a rental property, and then you do that once or twice. Like I just know a lot of real estate investors who've done just that and it's changed their life. Like they they, they they, can now retire more comfortably than they thought they could because they have this one or two little rental houses. And so like, I'm very big and positive on helping other people get into the real estate game. And instead of me, like, I, I don't have ambitions to like take over the world and be this huge real estate empire that owns thousands of units and does that kind of thing. Helps a bunch of rich people make more money. Like I, I really like the idea of a, there's a 30 year old, person who's frustrated with their job and they wanna, you know, build some wealth for themselves and their family and they just they don't know how to do it though. So they, they can go online on YouTube or podcast and listen to me sharing some ideas, some fundamentals. And you know, maybe they didn't have a family member who knew about real estate. And so they're having to get it from podcasts and YouTube. And I can be sort of that mentor that maybe I had, you know, I had a family member who helped me out when I first started, but not everybody has that. So I think that's a beautiful thing about online media, you know, the accessibility is that access to information to improve yourself and to make your life better is free, pretty much free and it's out there. And so that's what my coach Carson Platforms about. I have a podcast that I publish weekly. I have YouTube where I draw. I have a little whiteboard, and I've, I've taken the coach Carson because of football because I love sports, and I've, I really admire people like Reggie Herring and Coach Bowden and, Co- and Dabo, coaches who make a difference in football. And but it's more than football; so it changed people's lives. They impact their character and the way they do things. And so I've, in my own way, I want to emulate that, but do it more in the financial realm and helping people just you know de-stress their life a little bit if they can. You know, have one house that produces five hundred bucks a month in income, and that changes their life. Changes gives them some security, so that they can spend more time with their kids, or help out their loved one, or start the nonprofit that they didn't think they could do because they're stressed about money. Kind of help them solve the money thing, so that they can do what matters. Otherwise, that's my my idea of like a positive impact
0: on people. I hear people pitching like plans of yeah, re- retire by the age of forty and. Uh, it almost sounds like a fad diet, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah. what, what, what would I, what are you going to do? Like, one of the important <laughs> distinctions you make um, that I, I found in, a, in an article is you, you said more than real estate, I wanted to share a philosophy of life. Retirement where you stop working isn't my goal. The goal is no. to get money out of the way so that you can do more of what matters, which that really I think resonates more as, as being realistic and yeah. and productive uh, and fulfilling. Then just yeah, like, sitting I'm, on your couch, you know, and doing absolutely. nothing.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if somebody's super busy and you just want to go take a vacation on the beach and drink some pina coladas, I mean, I get that. Like, you, we all need to like, de, you know, de stress a little bit. But ultimately, like, I think people at our best are we work. You know, like, we pr- we produce things, we help people, we serve people. So I don't, th- I can't imagine a scenario in my life personally where I'm not contributing and doing things. if, if I'm healthy and you know, God willing, I can do it. Um, so I, like, that's my that's my philosophy on trying to help other people is like, let's, I think so many people, they don't love their job. You know, I mean, I feel fortunate that I do love working what I do, but a lot of people they would be okay if they could work less or they could, they could go to their boss and say, I'm still willing to work this job, but I'm only willing to do it 30 hours a week, or I'm willing to not travel. And so I just giving people some leverage with their work so that they can do work in a little bit better way for themselves and their family. Or so that I imagine like there's a lot of people who are in, finance or doing something that like, maybe they just don't love and they really should be a high school football coach. Yeah. But how many, how much, how much are high school football coaches getting paid? Mm-hmm. You know, right. they 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 get nothing. So I, I think there's, there's, there's ministers, there's youth, uh, there's, um, you know, football coaches, there's nonprofit people there's all this work that needs to be done that doesn't get rewarded equally. And we all know that's, you know, we all wish it would, you know, teachers were paid more and coaches were paid more and nonprofit people were paid more, but they're not. So, you know, one way, my only way I've figured out how to solve that is like, all right, well, if somebody can get a few rental properties that pay them some money and they can do that on the side, then that maybe that frees up their time to do that thing that they always wanted to do, but they never had the ability to do it. And whether that's at 40 years old or 60 years old or whatever, you know, that everybody's got different timetables, but I I think that it is going back to real estate, like real estate is possible. Like there's, there's houses in every town, there's duplexes in every town. And People, I I really love like the light bulb moment when I help people see that hey, even though you don't have that much money, you know you can do this. Like I, I had a thousand bucks when I started, and here's how I did it. Here's how I, you know, leveraged other people's money. Here's how I saved up some cash and did, used a three percent down program with FHA and got the loan. And here's how it worked. You know, so sometimes just people need to know there's a path, and here's how here's how somebody else did it. Hear that story. And so that's what I'm trying to do with the books is I wrote a book called retire early with real estate that talked about kind of the big picture. And the one I'm going to write now is called the small and mighty real estate, the small and mighty investor. And it's trying to um, explain how somebody can have one or two properties or 10 properties and they don't need to get really big and do this huge corporation and big business like a lot of people think you need to be. You can stay small, and here, here's how you do it, and here's here's the way you, you approach it, and here's why it's beneficial to do that. And so that's, that's, that's what I'll be working on. That'll be my job in Spain, is working on that book.
0: I'm assuming y'all don't have a time frame for how long y'all are going to be there, because that's not the way y'all roll.
1: <laughs> we actually do this time, and I think our kids have influenced that a little bit because you know going to Edward or our older daughter would be at uh, in sixth grade at Edward's middle school and she's a little disappointed that she's like she really is looking forward to being in band like music, I need to connect you with, Oh man yeah uh, she she loves music she's a violin player she wants to play flute in the middle school band and so she there's just things like that that she is really looking forward to and we are too honestly so we we are pretty sure we're going to be back in July of 2023, and we've already we have somebody renting our house, and we explicitly told him up front in the advertisement, you only have one year to live here. <laughs> <laughs> you have to you have to leave. <laughs> we're coming back to Clemson. This is our hometown. This is our home. So we'll be back.
0: Well, she'll have two years uh, under Mr. Marsh, uh, the the incredibly right. talented band director at Edwards. Um, so hopefully she'll be able to make up for for lost time. Is it, what, what will you, what do you miss most about, I guess, uh, when when you leave, you're like, man, I wish I could have this, uh, you know, some of the comfort of, comforts of of being back home.
1: Uh, Clemson, there's some special things about Clemson. Like I, I mentioned earlier, just the outdoors. Like it's just unbelievable that you could be five minutes, 10 minutes in the woods and be taking a hike in the experimental forest and just feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. That's, that's amazing. And as it's hard to replicate like even in places that are so-called outdoor places like denver colorado and like you have to drive in traffic for two hours to get in the woods in colorado right i mean that's this is a special place if you're into outdoors which i think is you know is one of the unique things but then also just i love the small town i love the fact this is our community and you know getting to see you and heidi and people i know and that i've you know, sweated with and worked on projects with, and we're trying to make our place, our our hometown, a better place. Like that's, it takes a long time. And that's not a given that you feel that community connection with people. And I feel like people in Clemson care about their community. We're such a unique place with a university and the outdoors and the proximity to, you know, big cities like Clemson, Atlanta and Charlotte, but not a big city and, I don't know. There's just there's a special kind of ingredients in the in the soup of uh, what it means to live in the this corner of the upstate that I I really love and um, that I definitely miss those. So it's it's I I feel like I'm kind of torn. Like I love travel, I love going to other places, but I love coming home too. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it makes it even better um, when you've been abroad and you've lived other places. It makes it even more special. And for me, I just appreciate it even more when I do come back. The the type of place we live in. When do y'all leave? Uh July of, okay. of this year. So, so one year exactly. Yeah, we haven't bought our ticket yet. This that's kinda of the way I'm still waiting. We we actually I hadn't told this part of the story, but we're applying for visas to live there. So a visa like you, you can go on a tourist visa for ninety days in Europe as an American citizen, but you can't stay there beyond ninety days. So we're applying for a visa that would let us stay there. And there's like a three inch packet of paperwork we had to send. And we, I think we're almost there. I'm getting that approved, but we haven't formally gotten it approved yet. So I've been kind of hesitant to spend the, you know, $900 yeah. per fly, person on a flight to go there until we know for sure we have that visa in our hands.
0: Well, Chad, uh, thank you for your time. Um, I know you're busy and, and man, thank you for your uh, leadership you, you've helped make this community a better place and a lot of folks are indebted to you for that and um thank you Yeah, you know, we, we're going to be we'll, we'll be closely monitoring you and and i'm excited about having you back a year in a year yes, so <laughs> absolutely
1: me too well thank you for what you're doing this has been a really fun conversation and really uh, i think these are important conversations in our community and in the clemson greater clemson you know community i think this is a i uh, really appreciate the work you're doing and the conversations you're getting out in the world
0: I think a lot of people are, are living vicariously through you uh, as they hear about all your uh, all your world <laughs> travel, so it's exciting. Yeah.
1: Pretty, they can they can feel free to stay in touch with We don't have a blog. We, we have in the past been a blog, travel blogs, but if you if you stay in touch with me on CoachCarson.com or something, I'll, I'll let people know what we send some pictures or videos if they want to live vicariously and
0: see what we're up to <laughs> over there. Sounds good. Thank you, Chad. Thanks, Larry. Wow, what a cool existence. I think I, I probably speak for a lot of people in – uh and saying i could never do that it scares me but also i'm kind of jealous uh of, of him and his family being able to do that if that makes any sense all the best to them the carson family in their world travels their trip across the atlantic appreciate him sharing his valuable time to join us appreciate the support of our sponsors and of course thanks to all of you for hitting play really appreciate it be safe cheers